What I've been talking about the last number of times that I've been sharing is being based out of John chapter 15, verse 7, where Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you desire, and it shall be done for you. And in one translation it says, when it says, ask whatever you desire, and some translations it says, I command you to ask for what you desire. So Jesus is commanding us as we abide in him, have intimate communion with him, and his word is at home in us continually. He says, I command you there to ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this is my father glorified. You prove to be his disciples, bear much fruit, etc., etc. And the thing that that, that has fired me up, and I've just been reading that passage and, and some around there over and over and over again, and it's just been encouraging. But what I see is <clears throat> along, along the lines of that verse, when Jesus said to pray this way, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus wants heaven's reality to manifest here to a certain extent. Now we know that, oops, I forgot to turn off my iPad. <clears throat> he wants heaven to invade earth. He want, now, we know the fullness of, of heaven coming is going to be after all the stuff happens, the judgment and, and Jesus coming back and all that kind of stuff. But, he, but now, he's wanting us as his representatives, as ambassadors, he's wanting us to bring heaven's reality through us, through healing, through deliverance, through salvation, through restored hope, through provision, through just miracles of heaven's resources coming here on earth. And he's inviting us into that kind of relationship to where he can entrust. Check this out. Jesus wants to be able to entrust you and I with all of his resources. You ever thought of that? He wants to entrust you with his resources because he says, whatever you ask, whatever you desire, ask for it and I will do it. And there are about four verses Three others besides this one that had that same idea, ask whatever you desire. If you pray believing and asking for anything and believing, you shall have it. <clears throat> if you ask anything in my name, that shall my father do. So he's saying, come on, come on, brothers and sisters. Come on, sons and daughters. I want this. This is how God is glorified. When heaven's resources and the life of heaven is coming through you and me. <clears throat> so he's inviting us to that. And we've talked about abiding in him. And the la I believe it's the last time I, I, I preached. It was, um, what is your motivation? What is your motivation? What motivates you or what's going to motivate you to get in the word? Because abiding in Jesus also needs to include abiding in the word. And today we're going to talk more specifically about abiding in him. Um, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. How many of you have heard that verse before? It hasn't entered man's heart. We haven't thought about it, heard about it, know anything about it. The things that God has prepared for those who love him. How many of you have heard that before? And we get all excited about that verse. But that's not where I get excited. I mean, that's cool that there's stuff that God has prepared for, those, for us because we love him. But it's like, okay, that's cool. But it, where it gets exciting, the next line, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. <clears throat> so God has awesome, incredible things for you and I. Not only corporately, 
There are corporate things that we as Christians should be walking in. The authority of the believer, walking in authority. Walking in, you know, we shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We can speak the storms and they dissipate. You know, that kind of thing, together we can, we can walk in. But also, individually, God has specific things for you. Would you do me a favor and put your point to your chest? Okay, the person you're pointing to is the one that he has good things for. See, a lot of times when we look at the Bible and read it, we think everything corporately. You know, for God so loved the world, so we think so generally. And that's good and that's true. But we also need to speak specifically and realize, for me, he has amazing things. He has incredible things that have not even entered your mind yet, have not even come into your heart. You haven't even begun to ask for these things yet because they're not even in your realm of thinking. But they're there, and he wants them to come through you. You know, some of you who are gifted, and God has put his, his anointing on you to sing or to play music. Or, he's, or some of you are, are business entrepreneur types by the Lord's design, by his anointing. Some of you are, are just whatever you're calling, whatever your passion is. God has designed you that way. And he has amazing songs, music, Books, inventions, business ideas, all kinds of things that he wants to birth through you that have not even touched the planet yet. No man has even thought of yet. And God wants to bring that through you. Are you going to let him? You know, I've, one of the, Probably the richest, the most, most wealthiest place here in Stillwater is not Stillwater National Bank or the Bank in A or Spirit Bank or RCB or OSU Credit Union. But it's the graveyards because of all the ideas, all the songs, all the inventions that died with those people. The books that are supposed to have been written that didn't get written. The songs that were supposed to have been created, the inventions that were supposed to happen, how many of those are in the graveyards here in Stillwater? And how many of the things that God wants to breathe and, and give life through you, how many, are, how many of those are going to go to the grave with you? You don't want to take those things to heaven. He, God, his intention isn't for business ideas, breakthrough, medical breakthroughs. I believe that God's going to give a Christian the cure for cancer. That's just my personal opinion, personal belief. God has amazing things he wants to bless and birth through us. But it hasn't even entered our mind. It hasn't entered our heart yet. And he wants it to. And he wants it to flow through us. Let's keep reading. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received 
Okay, here we go. Check this out. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Now, we know we've received the spirit of God, right? If you're a Christian, you receive the spirit of God. You want to know why? He's about to tell us why. So that in the New American Standard, it says the word so. It says so that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. We have the spirit of God so that we can know the things that God has for us. God wants to reveal those things through his spirit. So the things that God has created and designed for you to have, to walk in, to experience, to bring forth, they're going to be brought to your knowledge or your reality through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. That's why he's given us the spirit. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but with the, which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, check this out, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Let me give you an example. If you are a medical person or a chemist or, or someone like that, and all of a sudden you start playing with formulas or doing what you do. I don't even know how to explain that. I might need your help, Toby. But you do what you do, and all of a sudden, you think you might have the cure for cancer. And then your futile mind says, no, that can't be true. Who am I to come up with the cure for cancer? Or you have this business idea that just comes up, and it's like, no, no, that can't. In other words, your futile mind that has been darkened and has been damaged because of bad beliefs, because of whatever has happened in the past. And our mind is just beat down. Our self-esteem is beat down. And the Holy Spirit, if he tries to bring some of these things through, we're not going to believe it anyway. So it just gets shoved to the side. I can't write songs. I can't sing music. I can't create music. And so your mind doesn't even give it a chance. It doesn't even get to be birthed because of your mind, the futility of your mind. And remember the Bible says in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. In a New Living Translation, it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Our mind has to be renewed. We've experienced, all of us have experienced different, crazy, some very bad, horrendous, horrific, tragic stuff. Whether it's abuse, emotional, physical, verbal, whatever. Neglect, whatever the case is, you have a thinking process. You have a, mind, a certain mindset, a belief system. And I can tell you it's contrary to God's word. Even if you've, if you've been born in the best of families, like mine, for instance, the most perfect. Your, your offspring, your children still have challenges. Of their mindset. I mean, my three older boys who, uh, who have gone, moved to California and gone to a, 
uh, a school out there. One of the biggest things that happened to them first that, they, that really changed them was their, their image, their self-image, their self-esteem, seeing themselves as God sees them and not as they see them, and that has changed. Well, in a perfect family that they grew up in, that shouldn't have been an issue. But it was a huge issue for whatever reason. I mean, you get what I'm saying? So it doesn't matter what kind of family we were born in. We have things that have attacked our thinking, our thought process, and we believe lies. We believe lies. And so because of these lies are strongholds, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And the strongholds, a lot of times we're thinking of warfare, we're thinking of strongholds over cities. In the context of that chapter, it's talking about strongholds in your, these strongholds right here between your two ears. Not principalities over Stillwater, the strongholds in your mind. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not of the flesh, but they are mighty for pulling down these strongholds. And just to give you a highlight of, what do you call it, a head, what's the word? When you're telling something before, um, heads up, that's not the word I'm looking for. Preview, someone say preview. We'll use preview. In October, in October, we have a ministry, a couple that's coming, a ministry team from, from California that's coming that deals with this very thing of mindsets, and they are awesome. They're amazing. It's so simple, but it's so impactful. Matter of fact, the book that I've been encouraging you guys to get called Declarations by Backlund, Steve Backlund, he and his wife, Wendy, are coming in Stillwater. They're coming here, folks, coming here. But this whole things of, of mindsets, of, of strongholds, are in our minds. And as long as they're allowed to stay there, then the stuff that God's wanting to bring and birth through you, it's not going to happen. Because if he were to try to bring something up, your, belief, your faulty belief system would kill it. Your unbelief would kill it, destroy it. Do you believe that you have learned and taken a hold of everything that God has in store for you? How many of you believe there's a lot of stuff that God has in store for you to walk in, to, to take hold of? How many of you have grabbed a hold of all of it? Every bit of it? Anybody? How many of you would agree and believe that God has wonderful, a bunch and bunch of wonderful stuff for you? How many of you believe that? I guess I should ask that one first. Okay, so we agree that he has stuff for us. Now, how many of you believe that you have, you're walking in all of that, every bit of it? Okay, so point is, we believe he's got the stuff for us, but we also believe we ain't got it yet, right? Emphasis on ain't. It means it ain't happened yet, right? Would you agree with that? What are you doing about it? What are you doing? If you believe he has this wonderful, incredible stuff, and I don't have it yet, what are you doing about it? Thinking, well, when God wants me to have it, he knows where I'm at. I'm right here. Ain't gone nowhere. Been here for 25 years. Is that what you believe? Well, guess what? It's probably not going to happen. 
How many wonderful, God-loving, God-fearing people are in those graveyards and they took all that wonderful stuff with them because it wasn't able to come through them like God intends. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go to heaven, when I'm standing for Je- before Jesus, I'm going to be empty as far as all the stuff that he intends for me because I left it here on the planet. It happened here on the planet. The healings, the miracles, the whatever he wants to manifest through my life, it happened here, and I go up there, and he says, well done. Well done. All the stuff that I wanted to do through you, good job. Instead of me standing before him, and he says, what's all that stuff you have with you? You got, you got armloads full of stuff. He's like, what is all that? I'm like, I don't know. It just, I don't know. He said, you were supposed to leave that there. What good is that going to do you here? The angels don't need that. Heaven doesn't need that. Earth does. Hopeless, helpless, sick, broken, lost people need what God wants to do through you. Do you realize? You know, the Bible says Christ in you is the hope of glory. It didn't say Christ is the hope of glory. You ever thought of that? I mean, am I quoting that scripture wrong? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, we know he is the hope of the world, but he in his wonderful magnificence wants to glorify and and reach people through you. See, remember, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he sent his Holy Spirit, which is him unlimited in all of us, to continue to do what he used to do. But he wants to express himself through all of us. All of us. See, I am ruined for normal Christianity. And what I mean by normal, I'm not talking about normal by heaven standards, but normal to American standards. Normal Christianity to me, defined by America, is being a good person, giving some money to the church, attending church regularly, raising your kids right, encouraging them to go to college so they can get a job with benefits, live in my nice house, two cars, all those things. And those things in them of themselves aren't wrong. But for many of us, that's the ultimate. That's the goal. That's the, what we're going after. And that hasn't even touched what God has and what he wants to do through us. Those can be things we get to enjoy on the journey. I believe he's okay with you having a beautiful, wonderful home and beautiful cars and, and all that kind of stuff, as long as they don't own you. I believe he's okay with that. But for our country and too much of us, it owns us, and we begin to live our lives in such a way as to keep the stuff and not lose it or get more, bigger, better stuff. And so that becomes everything we're living for. But he has so much more that he desires to do through us. But the key is, he says, if you abide in me and my words are at home in you, then, 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. What's going to renew our mind? Positive thinking? Happy thoughts? What? What truth? My truth? Lisa's truth? What's going to renew your mind? What word? Whose word? Come on, I don't think you guys believe what you're saying. I'm not convinced. You're mumbling. Come on. What's going to change us? God's word. Do you believe it? Do you really believe it? All right, so let's talk about some practical things of how to abide in Jesus. What does that look like on a practical level? Abiding in Jesus and his, and, and his word living at home in us. How do we do that? And remember, the goal, the purpose for that is Jesus abiding in him and his word in us so that he enables us to be fruitful, bear much fruit, to bear more fruit, to bear fruit that remains so he's glorified. Jesus said, this is how my father is glorified, this right here. This is how he's glorified, and he spells it out, that you bear much fruit. So it's all about him, right? It's all about his glory, but there is a specific way that he chooses to be glorified. Remember when he said, let your light shine before men in such a way? Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works. So in other words, they got to see your good works and say, wow, that's awesome. Wow, I can't believe that. Where'd that come from? It says, but they glorify God. They don't glorify you. But they're excited and amazed at what's happening, what they see in and through you. And they recognize, wait a minute, God's got to be real for that to happen. Let me see what I'm getting at. See, so it is all about him and his glory. But sometimes it looks like it's about us. But it's about him. And so we want to talk about how do we abide in him? How do we hang out with Jesus and everything so that we can begin to have our mindset change so that the things that he wants to birth in us and through us begins to manifest here on earth. So number one, spending time with Jesus. Now I can share some ideas, which I'm going to do, share some ideas about spending time with Jesus. But you have to decide what works for you. See, if you try to take, okay, CJ said A, B, and C, do this, do this, this. Okay, so if I do that, then okay, I got it. I got the perfect relationship with Jesus. Everything's going to be good. So I don't know about you, but I like formulas. I want to show me the one, two, threes to success, right? Three easy steps, and you got this. And when it comes to Jesus, I want that. I mean, I love him. I want him. I want to be close to him. So show me how to do it in three easy steps. And then I try the three easy steps, and maybe they work for a while. And then a year later, those three easy steps are nothing. They're not working. And I think something's wrong with the, with, the, with the three easy steps, and I want my money back. And it's not the three easy steps. It's finding whatever works for you, works the way you're designed, you're created. And you engage with him. Because, see, I've in the past been guilty of preaching, being so convinced and convicted that this is the way it has to be done because it works for me. So I'm like, hey, if this works for me, then it's sure going to work for you. So do it this way, okay? You paying attention? Do it this way. And if you don't do it this way, then you're in sin. You need to repent. 
So I'm going to share some ideas, but the key is, is you need to, you can use some of these ideas, but find out what works for you. So number one is you have to be intentional in setting aside time. Now, here's something that's, that's going to work that's the same for everybody. It takes time. You can't have a relationship with Jesus outside of time here on earth. Now, in heaven, I don't know how a lot that's going to play out, but I'm not concerned about that. We don't have to worry about that. But right now, we are in a time something. <laughs> I don't even know what it's called. We live in time. So it takes time to spend to get to know him, right? So if you don't make time, then guess what? No relationship. Guys, those of you who are married, if you don't take time, if you don't make time to spend with your wife, then guess what's going to happen? Something else is going to take your time. Right? And it's not that I just don't have enough time. See, the, the number one excuse for not reading our word, the number one excuse is I don't have enough time. Newsflash, all of us have 24 hours in a day. Some of us act like I only got 15. I've been cheated. (laughs) We all have the same amount of time. It's just what we decide to do with our time. And that's the challenge. That is the challenge. And the reality is whatever is important to you, that's what you're going to spend your time on. So when people say, I don't have time to read the Word, what they are saying in reality is, it's not important enough for me to make time to spend in the Word. That's the reality. If we're going to be real and quit playing games, the reality is, if I don't have enough time, it's because I'm not using time, I'm not taking time and setting it aside for Jesus. So we have to be intentional on setting aside time for Him. And what I do at the beginning of the week, I typically do this on Sunday, because my time with him is not every day the same time. It doesn't work for me that way. It's not the same time every day. So what I do is I look at my schedule throughout the week and say, okay, on Monday, here's the time I'm going to spend with Jesus because I have this block of time. On Tuesday, I have this block of time. Wednesday, I have this block. And so I go and I block, 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 block. And on my calendar, it says Jesus time. I block those off. So then, and my goal, I try to do that first. I don't do it always 100%, but mostly I try to do that first. Then when someone says, hey, CJ, can I get with you for lunch? Or, hey, CJ, let's go out, let's do this. Or, hey, you know, so all these other appointments or these, these time commitments want to come in. If I don't have my Jesus time first, then guess what? All those things come in. I look at my calendar and it's like, man, I don't have time for Jesus. So what I do, if someone says, hey, can we get together at 8 o'clock? I say, ooh, if Jesus is blocked there, I say, ooh, I have an appointment at 8 o'clock. I will have to tell them it's, I spend time with Jesus at 8 o'clock. Don't need to know that. I have an appointment at 8 o'clock from 8 to 10, 8 to 9.30 or whatever. So first challenge, block time. If you say, well, when I have time, you're not going to have time. And we all know that. We all know that. So we just have to make time, carve out time. You know, um, I know some of us can feel bad that, because, you know, the scripture, I believe David said something about rising early, or, or I can't remember the scripture, I can't quote it, but we get the idea that David rose up early and spent time with the Lord, right? 
You guys know what I'm talking about? And so then we can get the idea that thus saith the Lord. You have to get up early and spend time with him. And we, we can believe that if I'm not spending with time, time with God in the morning, then I'm, I'm not doing it right. Some people are not wired to be morning people. <laughs> and I happen to know one of them. And so instead of beating yourself up, now I'm a morning person and I'm a late person. I don't know how that works, but I just, but I can get up in the morning and spend my favorite time, my best time is early in the morning spending with Jesus. Now I can come across as that's when you have to do it and because that's the more spiritual time and make you feel bad and then you try to make that work and then there's no grace on it. There's just you're, you're strain and everything and then you just get frustrated and you quit. Huh? And condemnation, yeah. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Quit, carve out time in the day that you're going to be fresh, that you're going to be alive. Don't, now I say this, I'll uh, qualify in a second. Don't wait until, you know what, before I go to bed is when I have time. <laughs> I've tried that before. I have great dreams. I mean, I'm dreaming about the scriptures. You know, my face is planted in it. You know, because at the end of the day, you're tired, you fall asleep, boom. I mean, you know what I'm saying? However, some of you, that's the best time for you, and it works. It works perfectly. Keep doing that. Some of you, early in the morning, keep doing that. Don't try to do what's working for somebody else. It doesn't work for you, but you feel like it has to work for you, so you're trying to make it work, and then you get frustrated and discouraged and everything, and it's all a big mess. Say, Holy Spirit, help me out. What works for me? Find it. And then begin to block that time, okay? Number two, lifestyle of worship. I highly recommend that worship becomes your life. Okay? Just write that down. I'm just kidding. You know, if you think about it, I heard someone say this not too long ago, but would you agree that heaven, excuse me, that worship plays a major role in heaven? I mean, would you agree with that? Worship plays a major role in heaven. It's like, hmm, there's got to be something to that worship stuff. Because heaven, they're just jamming. They're just worshiping the king. They're getting down, all that kind of stuff. So I think, you know what? I might need to look into that. Also, the father says that he is looking for worshipers. You know when, how many of you guys, you know, when you were little and you were on a, you were being picked, you had two captains and they were about to pick teams. And the thing you didn't want, you didn't want to be the last one picked, right? It's like, oh, great. Right, yeah, yeah, you guys can have CJ. I don't want him. You, got, you know, then you hate that, being the last one picked or nobody wanted you. You always wanted to be the first one picked or early picked or whatever. And, of course, the premium people got picked first. It says the Father's looking for worshipers. The cool thing is he doesn't have a limit to how many he can pick. See, when we're playing football or baseball or whatever, there was a limit to how big your team could be. So if they could only have 10 on a team and you were number 11, then guess what? You had to wait till the next time. God is looking. He's choosing his team. And one of the qualifications that he's looking for are worshipers. Now, that doesn't mean if you're not a worshiper, he's rejecting you. Don't get that idea. But it says in Scripture that he's looking for worshipers. Therefore, I want to be picked on his team, so guess what I'm going to start doing? 
going to worship him. Be a wor- you know, so worship is very important. And what I mean by worship is, practically speaking, get a CD, a DVD, YouTube, or whatever, and, and just worship. Sing songs, just like we do on Sunday mornings. We're just loving on him, worshiping him, thanking him. And we ought to know what that looks like. Make that a part of your life. Daily, regular. Even when you're not having a sit-down, quiet time in your closet or your bedroom or wherever, when you're going to work or you're going wherever, pop a CD in your, in your car CD player. And when you're going to and fro, worship him. Let the atmosphere of heaven just fill your life regularly. Does that make sense? You know something I want to say about this worship thing? John 4, 23, but an hour is coming and now when now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. It's not like, you know, some people kind of have a hard time with worshiping because they think, what, is God an egotist or something? I mean, why do I have to worship him? Let me tell you something. You worshiping God is not doing him a favor. You worshiping God is not propping him up so he can have a better day. Hey, God, I'm going to sing you a song so you can be happy. How's that? That is not how it works. Can I tell you a secret? Do you know who benefits? When you worship God, you know who gets the bigger benefit? Think about it. Think about this. God says, son, I want you to worship me. So I begin to worship him. And all of a sudden, I begin to notice freedom in my life. Or I begin to notice changes in my attitude. Or provision manifests miraculously. Or I get healed. Something, miraculous things begin to happen in my life. Because, you know, God doesn't need a miracle. He doesn't need healing or provision. I do. And a lot of times, when I'm worshiping him, something happens to me. So I think he kind of tricked us. He says, hey, son, why don't you worship me? Okay, yes, dad, I worship him. Whoa, what's going on? Whoa, that was cool. And he just kind of smiles at you. Because he knew the way for you to get part of his goodness was for you to put your full attention on him. You're like, wow, God, you're cool. And all of a sudden, bam, you just get hit with a miracle. Whoa, God, I thought I was doing you a favor. I thought I was trying to make you happy. And then we read in, in Acts 17, 24, it says, He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. So the thought that God needs our worship, Wrong answer. Thanks for playing. He doesn't need our worship. He desires our worship. I don't understand all that. But I just notice that we're the ones that get the benefit of worshiping him. See, he's kind of cool like that. Entices us into something, and we think we're just being all obedient and everything, and we're the ones that get blessed by it. See, he's like that. That's how he rolls. So I would encourage you to worship. Make worship a part of your daily lifestyle, regular lifestyle, because it's good. And number three, reading his word. 
reading his word. Now, this is the centerpiece of relationship. I'm going to see if I can quote my wife. She said, she told me the other day, she said, what? What scripture? I'm going to quote it the way I want to. She said, trying to have a relationship with Jesus without the word is trying to, it's like trying to have a relationship with Jesus without Jesus. Did I say it right? Because see, in John 1, <laughs> in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God, excuse me, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You can't know Jesus without Jesus. Yeah, you can't know Jesus without Jesus. So you can't know Jesus without the Word. Am I doing good? All right. So we need to have a relationship with the Word if we're going to really have a fulfilling and full relationship with Jesus. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, ask her. And again, this is why we're doing this new Foundations Bible series, or Foundation Bible series, I'm not sure what it's called, something Foundations, but it's a series, and it's not to, for you to come away with great, deep revelation from the Word of God. It's for you to come away with a passion to get in the Word of God so that you can come away with great revelation. And you know what's not? Sometimes we, we read the word for great revelation. Oh, I want a big, deep, dark, not dark, but a deep, big truth. And it's like, that's not typically what changes my life. It's when I'm reading the word and it's some simple thing that I realize I just get hit in the heart with how much he loves me. Or a truth that I'm struggling with something and all of a sudden I see in scripture, there's the answer, there's the key. And it's like, bang. Just like that. But what we need to do is we need to give time for the word. And we need to get into the habit of inviting and involving the Holy Spirit in the process, into the process of engaging the word. We need to get into the habit of inviting and engaging Holy Spirit into our process of engaging the word. Because see, what happens is we get, when it comes to the word, we, we go into academia. Is that a right word? Did I say that right? Academia? Which one's right? Academia. We, in other words, we get our Bible. Okay, pretend like this is a Bible. We get our Bible, and then we get on our scholarly mind, and we begin to read the Word, and we begin to study it and try to learn stuff. That's not how He intended for us to engage His Word, for the most part. There is time to study. There is time to use concordances and see what these, these men and women of God in the past have said and everything and, and to kind of to see if, if you're interpreting things right. And that's okay. That is quite okay. Matter of fact, I do that when I'm studying or if I'm wanting to put together, I feel like the Lord's giving me a word to share, then I'll study and look at Scripture and all that kind of stuff, okay? But we, we can't, we're not to engage the word as if we're preaching a sermon, preparing for a sermon. We need to engage the word as if he wanted to speak to you. That's how we need to engage the word. So we get the word out and I say, Holy Spirit, please teach me your word today. Teach me your word. Show me something in your word. What are you wanting to say to me? Not, what does my wife need to hear today? 
Give me something good to get her with. But get in the habit of involving Holy Spirit. Because you know, secret, he's actually the author of the word that you want to learn. So invite the author. I mean, imagine one of your favorite books, favorite book that you've read. Let's say it's a teaching book or something like that. And it's a really good book. And all of a sudden, the author of the book, you had the opportunity to spend time with the author and say, you know what, I really enjoyed this chapter. What did you really mean by this? And then he or she could say, well, actually, I was talking about, wow, really, that's cool. Wouldn't that be cool to have the author explain to you what he or she really meant? That's what we get to do. Holy Spirit, what do you mean by this? What does this mean? He wants to bring it down to our level so that it can impact us, not so it gives us good teaching material. There's a time for that. But that shouldn't be the normal. That should be every once in a while. The norm should be every day, every day, regularly getting in the Word so it can impact me. And I believe the greatest sermons will come out of that. As you allow the Holy Spirit and the Word to impact you, and then your life changes as a result of that, and then you preach and teach out of that experience, then what that will do is not be a message from your head to somebody else's head. It'll be a message from your life, and it'll impact their hearts. And then they become inspired, and they say, I want to get in that Word too. I believe that's what the gifts given to the body should do, is entice and stir up hunger for a closer relationship with Jesus. If my teaching and inspiration or challenge and everything is, is encouraging you to, man, I need to be closer to CJ, I need to be like him, I need to, then I've messed up. But hopefully what I share, share and teach or whatever encourages you, challenges you, motivates, inspires you to want to draw closer to him. There's success to me. That's success. Because when you get with him, everything changes. Everything changes. And remember the Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus to help you, to teach you, to remind you of the truth. Holy Spirit has been sent to you to help you, to remind you, to teach you, and to lead you in all truth. And I want to encourage you, I know sometimes we are, a lot of times, we're afraid that, well, if I read the Bible by myself, I may get a bad interpretation. I may be deceived. And see, remember that, that stinking thinking we were talking about at the beginning? Our futile thinking? See, that's that thinking talking to you. Because what he's going to say to you is, guess what? You have the mind of Christ. Guess what? You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And he is your teacher. And as we begin to train ourselves to not believe the lie, but believe I can hear Holy Spirit, and so I'm going to begin to give opportunity for that. And you read the Word and say, Holy Spirit, teach me, and just read the Word. And Because here's what's been a challenge to me, but I've been enjoying it now. All the Bibles I have, well, most of the Bibles I have, except one, most of them have commentaries and notes all over the place. So you read a Scripture, and then there's like 20 things that tell you what that Scripture means. And you can become addicted to those notes. You can become so dependent upon them that you can't read the Word without those notes. And so then you get a translation that has no notes, and it's like, what do I do? I can't read this. I would encourage you to to get a, a Bible. You know, they have them online. 
that doesn't have all the notes and just begin to read without the notes and talk to him, engage him. Now, if he, if he shows you something, if he teaches you something, and you're like, wow, that's pretty cool. How do I know if that's Holy Spirit? How do I know if that's true or not? Talk to another brother or sister. Say, you know what? I think Holy Spirit's teaching me this. They're like, dude, whoa, no, <laughs> no. Jesus is not coming back with the aliens to take us to heaven. Sorry. <laughs> so it is important to, to verify, to confirm what he's teaching you. Does that make sense? I've run out of time. I'll finish. I guess I'll have to finish next week. The last thing I want to end with, and I'm not going to be able to do this justice because I'm out of time, but praying in tongues often. Pray in tongues often. Often. Now, often to some people is once a year. More oftener than that, okay? A little more oftener. Regularly. You know what's so interesting? This morning... When we came, well, before we got here, actually, and all I could think about on our way here, I was just thinking about praying in tongues, praying in tongues, stir it up, stir it up, and I was thinking of scriptures, you know, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. He who prays in tongues edifies himself. And I was just thinking of these scriptures, and all of a sudden, I was just getting aggressive, like, we need to pray in tongues. I mean, just like, you know, it's just coming on me, like the Incredible Hulk, you know, turning... And I just felt this aggressive passion about tongues. And then, and I felt he was encouraging me as, you know, for pre-prayer, let's pray in tongues as if we believe that something happens when we pray in tongues. Let's try that. Let's pray as if we believe something's going to happen. Exactly. Pray in faith. Because, you know, a lot of times when, we, when I pray in tongues, I really don't believe anything's happening. It's like... I'm just doing a good exercise to get me warmed up so I can really pray. It's like, eh, wrong answer. But pray in tongues as if you believe that something happens when you pray in tongues. So that's what we were challenging and encouraging each other this morning in in pre-service prayer. And we were just praying, 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 tearing it up, tearing it up, praying. And then, man, one brother had a vision, and he, it was amazing. It was like, are you serious? It was like the Lord was showing us what was happening when we were praying in tongues. Cool, crazy stuff. And I ain't going to tell you what it was because you weren't there. <laughs> if you want to know, you got to be there next time. But then here's what was cool. Two, two sisters shared. The first one said, did you realize that today was the day of Pentecost? I'm like, what? I didn't know that. And it made me think, hmm, for some reason, Holy Spirit was really wanting us to pray. Pentecost was the day that the Holy Spirit fell on the the disciples. Remember in the upper room, 120? When Holy Spirit... So it was like, today's Holy Spirit's birthday. Now, not when he was born, but when he came inside man. So what he was saying was, hey, I want y'all to celebrate my birthday today. Kind of being silly, right? But there was something about... And as we were praying and, and praying and stirring it up, I mean, things are happening. Things are happening. Now, I'm not trying to do a teaching on Holy Spirit and praying in tongues right now because I ain't got time. However, another, what was that, preview. Next month, we have a brother, Howard Katz. None of you have ever, ever heard of him. <laughs> Howard Katz from uh, Canada. He and his wife are coming. And that weekend, we've invited him to come for the weekend and minister. And I believe we've called it Tongues of Fire. Tongues of Fire weekend, something like that. 
That just, just that title fires me up. Tongues of fire. So he's going to be coming and sharing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be powerful. But anyway, I want to encourage you to pray in tongues often. If you don't have your prayer language and you like your prayer language, when we invite the, the, prayer, the ministry teams to come up, if you want to receive your prayer language, I invite you to come up and let us pray for you. Okie dokie, we good on that? And I have some other things to share, but I ran out of time. Let's all stand together. So the main thing this week that I would want to challenge you with is carve out time this week to spend with Jesus and his word. So if you forget about everything else we talked about, that's what I desire to happen this week. Carve out time, spend time with Jesus and his word. Engage him in his word. Mm -hmm.